Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the core. Hello and welcome to the Throw and Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Broadcast Energy. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. How's it going, Will? Not too bad. Championship is back up and running. Are you buzzing? Yeah, well, like, there was obviously a good few one-sided games over the weekend, but I think even, like, I was at the Leinster football match with uh, Wexford or Longford and Carlow yesterday, and you're kind of thinking, if you took Dublin now at Leinster, you'd have some Leinster championship. You could nearly throw a blanket over a good few of the other teams. And, like, it was probably in Leinster where we saw the two very best games of the weekend, off the allowed, which we'll go into later, and Longford Carlow, two real competitive games. But uh, it's hard to know where to look every Saturday and Sunday now. There, there's, so, there's so much going on, but it, it's, great. it's great to have it back. I know, it's wall-to-wall sport. It's so much to enjoy. We're going to actually talk about the football championship in the second half of the show. We're going to be joined by Kieran Whelan. But first, it's hurling and while Brendan Cummins is going to join us. In a couple of minutes, we're going to kick things off with Conor McKeown here. Conor, how are you? Good, well. Big game of the weekend, Clare versus Waterford, kicking off the Munster Championship. Um, you know, Clare have regrouped pretty well from that rocky start to the National League when they lost to Antrim they, you know, or they, and they lost to Wexford as well, having had a good lead. But as the win over Kilkenny maybe signaled they were turning a corner and... You know, beating last year's Ireland finalists and only I suppose only four points in the scoreboard, but I think everyone was in agreement that would I think twenty odd wides or so. You know, they could have been a lot lot uh, further ahead. Like, what did you make of the game? Well, it was a very important win for Brian Lohan. You know, above all else, I think you know they need that. But you know, I think they started to come good in the league when they played Dublin and Parnell Park. They, you know, you could see they put a big a big emphasis on winning that game and then beating Kilkenny in the last game. So they have proper momentum now. The big thing for me yesterday from the Clare point of view was how good John Conlon was. I think like, like a lot of people are pretty sceptical about how that was going to work out at the start. I think, you know, the theory behind the, having a player like Conlon as your sweeper or your, your centre-back, whatever way you want to define him. Sometimes it doesn't always work in practice, but, um, you know, defensively he was very, very good. He was kind of nearly the loose defender, so he could go and attack the pressure points without having to, you know, worry about the man that he was marking. Um, and I thought it was a stroke of genius from Lohan to play uh, Tony Kelly at full forward as well. Um, you know, in the expectation that Caelan Lyons is going to pick him up. Um, and obviously, you know, Caelan Lyons doesn't want to be playing on his full back line. He's not going to be scoring points from in there. And it didn't dilute Kelly's scoring threat, you know. Um, I know that it's a bit of a contradiction. You think playing closer to the goals, you get more scores, but not in Hurling at the moment. And, and Kelly had been so good out around the middle of the pitch, um, particularly in the last two games of the league, that it was probably a bit of a risk to put him in there. But like right from that first ball, you know, when he came out, got in front of lines, the touch, the turn, the strike, he was 
he was an absolutely uh, he was in brilliant form. So it was a huge win for Clare because I think those two experiments, which could have fallen flat on their faces, both came through. And you know, but for that patch in the third quarter, I think they were they were completely dominant. Yeah, Michael, like kind of touched on most of the key points there. For me, the most interesting one is that John Conlon performance because when it when when it was done during the league, you're thinking like the definition of robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're taking one of the most destructive inside forwards and you're putting him in a very unfamiliar position. Then they get off to a ropey start in the league, and you're thinking this could probably be the end of Brian Owen's tenure if it doesn't go well. But then yesterday, he was just he was so integral. Like you know, tactically, you know, what did you make of the decision and how it's paying dividend now? Yeah, I didn't hear one person um, back in that decision, particularly after the Antrim game. Not one. You were taking, it, lo- it looked like a bit of a fish out of the water against Antrim. You were taking all star full forward and putting them back centre back. But, like, in fairness, there's, uh, and I mean this in, like, as, a, as a compliment, but there's an ignorance to Brian Lawn that has to be admired. It really, really does. He makes a decision. And, uh, like, people would, be, would have been so skeptical about that, but he makes a decision. He stuck by it. He gave him five games there in the league. Uh, thinking that he'd be ready to go fill this important position and an important position that was probably left open uh, by the way, by the way that Pat O'Connor had been, was out so he was out for the season so he knew he had to kind of relocate someone to centre back he did it with Conlon and it just his reading of the game was brilliant he was always uh, filling a gap to make sure that Watford couldn't play a ball into Desi Hutchinson or play a ball into Shane Bennett he was brilliant and was more, more importantly on the ball the ball he was giving into Aaron Shanner it was just on a plate for him it was beautiful it was a, it was, it was a, a back um, formerly as a forward knowing exactly how they want the ball to be delivered in he was brilliant um, I thought there was a couple of Connor mentioned that that put, playing Tony Kelly inside like Waterford were just missing any spark going forward that lines would usually would usually give them and in fairness as well, there was a couple of other ones. Colin Galvin only played two games in the league. Thought he was really, really smart on the ball. He knew probably he didn't have the work done that maybe other players had done. So he was getting rid of the ball when he had it rather than maybe hold on to it like he normally would. And in fairness to them, like people had talked about whether the art of defending was dead, uh, particularly even after Saturday with the Leinster Championship with the scores that were put up. But like if you looked at how Claire defended and got in the faces of the Waterford lads. Like there was one stage in the first half where Shane Bennett uh, was that bottled up that he drop hooked the ball at, at, I think it was Paul Flanagan's legs. He was that frustrated. Like Claire were in their faces. Like it, it may have only been two weeks between league and championship, but this was championship intent from Claire and Waterford just didn't make that step up. And fair play to Brian Lone. Um, I think uh, Brendan Cummins had a good one at, at the start of his intro to his column today he just said sometimes if there's a row in a family and others start to interfere offering their opinion the family can actually come together starting to turn on outsiders and that's basically what Claire looked like they've done that, that was a four point hammer and there were ten points the better team yesterday well, there was certainly a lot of rows uh, in the family in the build-up. I mean, <laughs> it sets up a really exciting game against Tipperary next weekend, which you might circle back to in a bit. But then for, for Waterford Connor, like I know they only had eight guys starting from that All-Ireland final appearance. So, you know, that's that's half a team. So, yeah, I think you have to give them maybe a little bit of rope. But in terms of the performance, like what jumped out to you in terms of why they didn't hit the, the pitch that they would have wanted to? Well, I think, you know, the things that they do particularly well, Claire focused on them and didn't let them. Uh, like I saw Claire in the flesh in Parnell Park a few weeks ago against Dublin and uh, the Claire setup was interesting on the Dublin puckouts because um, they, 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 they all pulled over to one corner and they, 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 they gave Dublin a short puckout and then set up along the 45 and they had so many bodies through the middle. You know, they were basically saying to the Dublin goalkeeper or the Dublin defence, 
okay, you can have the short puck out, we give you possession, but you're going to have to run it through the lot of us. And if not, you're going to have to go long. And we've got so many bodies back here that you're not going to win the ball. And that's exactly what they did to Waterford. You know, like Waterford, the, the whole Liam Cahill rebuild, the sort of players that he left out and the players that he brought in, you know, they, they run the ball extremely well. They have an awful lot of dynamic ball carriers and they just could not get through the throng. Um, but even besides that, like there's no getting away from how poor Waterford were in the things that they usually do well. You know, they, they overcarry the ball a lot. They were giving away frees. They didn't deal well with some of Clare's tackling. And, and like we wouldn't have Clare down as being one of the more physical teams in the country. So, um, and again, like, you know, like, you know, Hutchinson and Bennett, they just didn't get the ball. You know, it, it didn't come to them. And when they did, you know, it wasn't clean. It wasn't where they wanted it. It wasn't in space. You know, they were nearly getting recycled ball. Um, and, and for an inside forward, particularly against a clear defence that held so many bodies back there, it's very, very hard to get your scores. Now, in fairness, they came back into it because, and, and they will have something to build on from that because, you know, if you limp your way through to a, a 10-point defeat or an 11-point defeat, you know, to turn it around for a qualifier is going to be next to impossible. So, you know, at least they kind of finished well, but um, I'm not sure that, you know, when Waterford management come to reflect on it, that, you know, yesterday was their best day at the office either. Yeah, and in terms of one of their tactical decisions, Michael, you know, putting Callum Lyons on Tony Kelly, you know, after the Galway game, he had five points from play. We, You know, he was that real raiding half-back. He was contributing on the scoreboard. You know, it's easy to say now that it didn't really work. Like, you know, what do you make of that decision? Yeah, it, it didn't work, as, as Connor said, because Clare didn't allow it to work last year. Kelly was wing forward and uh, he obviously injured himself early in the All-Ireland quarterfinal and it suited him to, suited Lines to be out there in his normal position. They, it was a difficult one for Liam Cal. They had an inexperienced full back line with, with Connor Prunty missing. And obviously, Stephen O'Keefe is not there from last year. And even they were missing Tyg de Bourke and they were missing Jamie Barron. So they were missing one, three, six, and eight. But particularly in that full back line, they would have felt uh, that they couldn't have, you know, leave Tony Kelly in there uh, in what would have been a rookie full back line. So they felt they had to bring Lyons back in. But when he went out to the half back line, even though Aidan McCarthy did a small bit of damage on him. Like he just offered them that trek going forward, offered them that energy. It just wasn't that no one else was really offering them. Um, I think from Cattle's point of view, it's interesting. When he was over at Tip Miners when they won the All-Ireland, uh, they were beaten uh, early in that campaign and bounced back. When he was over the, the 20s uh, when they, or the 21s, when they won the All-Ireland, they were beaten comprehensively by Cork in the Munster final and bounced back. They obviously bounced back from a Munster final defeat last year. Um, the language he used after I thought was interesting he mentioned a couple of times that they failed and a lot of Waterford players failed and it just wasn't acceptable he said that they had 11 lads training yesterday morning on the extended panel and he basically said like what are they thinking now looking at this game and how do I have to make the squad or what do I have to do to make the squad so definitely expecting he's going to shake things up a good bit uh, as Connor said though at least it wasn't it wasn't a really really demoralising defeat and it could have been if they'd been beaten by 10 or 12 which they probably justifiably should have been so to have a chance to bounce back, they you know they should have a couple of winnable games to get on the road, um, and hopefully from their point of view that they'll have Connor Prunty and Jamie Barron back. But it is going to be difficult to turn things around. I think there was a wave of optimism around them after that Tipperary game, and the uh, you know the, the second season syndrome of Cahill and been beaten in the All Ireland final last year. It's going to take a good bit to bounce back. I still think they have plenty in their arsenal to bounce back, but it is going to be difficult. 
and to get some of those injured players back as well, it'll be key over the next few weeks. It's funny, I'm sure you guys wouldn't have seen it because you guys were out and about yesterday, but watching the coverage on TV at the final whistle, you would have thought Waterford had salvaged a draw. Marty Morrissey was like, what character? What courage? Liam Cowell will be delighted with us. Like, well, they did get hammered for the most part, Marty. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, one thing in the game, Connor, that hasn't been talked about is the black card incident. I suppose the penalty in the first half was a key you know, moment in the game. Did you think it was harsh? Like, I know there was a, a discussion yesterday on the on the Sunday game about it. And, you know, I think it was maybe split down the middle. It's a rule that's I suppose, still in its infancy. It hasn't been too controversial so far, I don't think. But that was one incident yesterday that got a bit of a kind of a talking point. And like, we shouldn't even be having conversations about whether these things are harsh or not, because it's either a breach of the rule as described or it's not, you know. So, I mean, the ref decided that it was and that it was a penalty. Um, like, Connor, was it a goal scoring chance? That's well, the thing. Is there someone yeah, there? Like, if it's, like, that's like, the that's the that's the that's the key sort of um, qualifier within the rule, and and it's impossible to say in that situation. You know, he was definitely going towards goal. So if that's how you want to define it, that's fine. And if that's how every referee defines it this summer, I think that's also fine. But um, I mean, if I, I, I was a referee, I have to say I'd err on the side of caution, and I don't think that happened yesterday. Hmm. There's no way that was a penalty. There's no way that was a penalty for me. It's a yellow card, definitely, because it's dangerous what Shane Fives did. But he was still like it's not as if um it's not as if Shannon had burnt fives and was straight through on goal. Shane Fives was that close enough where he could actually hit him with his hurl, which fair enough is the yellow card. Irid Daly was in front of him and Billy Nolan was behind. So I don't I don't think that was a goal scoring chance. I don't think Jaron Channer would have even thrown up the ball to take a shot at goal with the, with Daly standing in front of him. I think that was the yellow card. Um and obviously Fair enough, Clare should have won by more, but it was four points between them at the end. Obviously, the goal is three of, three of that, and Shane Fives is off for 10 minutes. So uh, I've no issue with... Uh, I, I, it, it was a cynical foul, but to me, it didn't deny a goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah. The only thing about... Like, I sort of agree with you all the way there. The only thing I'll say is that in a defender in that sort of situation when the player is like running towards goal uh, and you're that close to the goal, I think had, he, you know, had it been more of a poor attempt at a tackle as opposed to a deliberate foul you might have got away with it but in that situation it was very obviously a deliberate foul um, whether it's a goal scoring chance that's open to interpretation but if you're a defender I don't think you can really blame anybody but yourself you have to err on the side of caution now mm-hmm. don't you really I suppose yeah and then looking ahead to next weekend, Michael, like Claire playing Tipperary, I was checking there. Like Claire's still pretty decent underdogs uh, in the bookies anyway. Uh, but can this win be a springboard, do you think? Like, is, is, is the momentum they get from this after turning that league campaign around enough to get over Tipperary, do you think? Yeah, not, not so sure, to be honest with you. Um, it's funny. I would have thought Waterford would have had a great chance of beating Tipperary. I would have fancied to beat Tipperary if they'd won. I, I don't, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure with Claire. Interesting to see what Tip do with, uh, with Tony Kelly. Probably, probably Brendan Maher, I'd say, or, or Barry Heffernan will probably pick him up and, and track him wherever he goes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if to be able to bring the same kind of, you know, it's, it's a bit of a cliche. I'm not sure if they can bring the same intensity to to a game a week later against, uh, you know, a Tipperary side that are, you know, full of full of class. What what Tipperary can bring, maybe the Tip won't be able to match is that kind of athleticism all over the pitch. They have runners all over the pitch. I don't know if you could say the same about Tipperary, particularly in the forward line. While they have all the silk, I don't know if they have the legs to really hurt Clare. Uh, I think it'll be tight enough, but I because it still be fancy Tipperary and Tipperary to win. It'd be different if uh, you know Clare have a game under the belt. It'd be different if it was you know 
they'd had a big layoff from the league and it was a big thing to have a game under your belt. I don't know, it's hard to, to gauge whether having a game under your belt playing a week later, having just finished the league is actually a positive or not. But I still think, you know, Tipperary deserve to be favourites in fairness. I just think they'll have a bit too much class up top. Yeah, and it sets up two nice semi-finals in Munster next weekend with Cork Limerick on, on the Saturday night as well. And the Leinster Championship got underway as well, Connor. And I suppose it, it kind of shows how rocky Dublin's league campaign was that beating Antrim and beating them in style as well is such a big thing for them. Because I, think, I know Brendan Cummins had been talking a lot that he really t- thought Antrim could, could go and beat Dublin. Like, where does this leave them? Were you impressed with, with how comprehensive the victory was? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably, I think it is a record score for Dublin in Championship hurling history. So, you know, in a game where there are people talking about you as possibly being upset you have to take that the, the, the thing that Dublin will take huge encouragement from is, is you know some of the criticism of the last couple of years of Dublin under Matty Kenny was that they'd become a little bit too methodical or too rigid um, and you know if, if you go back to the, the only Dublin teams and anybody remembers in 2013 under Anthony Daly they were the exact opposite it was all fire and brimstone and playing off the cuff and you know heart and physicality but in a situation where there's a possibility of, of causing an upset in a situation where you might be put under a bit of pressure um, having that system having that sort of um, having that uh, sort of reliance on your method and a game plan is what you need and you can see the Dublin were quite methodical on Saturday but they had you know, they did it at a better pace than they'd be doing during the league. You know, when you try and play like that and it looks too deliberate and too forced, you know, when you're not going well at it, 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 it can make a team look really bad. But, but Dublin looked pretty fluid now on Saturday. They, they, I know they showed a segment on the Sunday game, but they were very varied in what they did. They went short with puckouts, they went long with puckouts, and they could run the ball out of the fence, they let the ball in early. Um, and I think they were responding to what kind of shape that Antrim took on the pitch. And like, it's a huge score to run up, it's an enormous score. Uh, like, 331 was it so the equivalent of 40 points Keno Sullivan who came in um, who wouldn't have played only for Eamon Dillon uh, did his Achilles and his out for the season he scored a goal and he's a fella who can do that as well so like they're in a good place you know like if Dublin were going cold into a game against Galway off the back of a dodgy league campaign you know it would be impossible to say with any uh, confidence that they'd even put up a big performance but coming in after that performance at the weekend um I think that they'll make that one a much better game than we would have expected before Saturday. Well, we're delighted to welcome Brendan Cummins to the Throwing Podcast as well today. Brendan, how are you getting on? Very good now. Yeah, very good. We were just discussing win over Antrim. I know you going into the game thought Antrim had a good chance of an upset there. You know, so were you impressed with how Dublin responded? Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, I. Um, you probably joked him on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, um, but either way, Maddie Kenny um, was. I don't know. Is it holding back? A, a, a two things struck me in the in the game. One is Antrim. It was the first time I think that Antrum would have had expecta- expectations on themselves to win a match. They thought we're on the brink of doing something special here, and they got a little bit caught rabbit in the headlight stuff. They were stuck to the ground, but the dubs were seriously impressive. Sutcliffe like crummy in the half forward line. Every puck out, st- it sticks which is what they'll need against Galway now and inside Hayes and Boland were particularly good like Hayes his size he's tracking back he's work rate Boland then when he gets inside he's going looking for goals or Sullivan the same way and of course you had the usual old reliables like with Donald full back and then you had uh, obviously Liam Rush so overall Dublin brought an athleticism to the game that is 
that is, I suppose, their trademark. And I was delighted to see it because I think we need Dublin going well in the Leinster Championship and there's certainly a bee in their bonnet. So I just keep writing them off if that's what it takes to try to, to get them to perform again like this because they were really, really impressive the other night in uh, in Navin. Yeah, the, yes, the one thing, Will, maybe that, that they'll have to watch is where Neil McManus dropped in. Um, like he didn't play as an orthodox centre forward. So And Liam Rush was probably playing more as a sweeper than a, than a marking six. And he popped up in little pockets of space around the face and got six points from play. You know, the next day, the guy that plays that role would probably be Joe Canning. Um, and, you know, Dublin have an awful lot of thinking to do as to their matchups. You know, who's going to take Conor Whelan? For as good as Dublin's full back line was at the weekend, uh, you know, Paddy Smith and Keane O'Callaghan wouldn't be the two quickest marking cornerbacks in the world. And then you have to find one of your midfielders who's going to be able to go with Cahill Mannion all around the pitch. So just from that point of view, I'm sure Matty Kenny has already taught this all down the way. But, you know, allowing Neil McManus to get six points from play, it might be a minor gripe, but it's the sort of thing that could set you back in a big way the next day if it's Joe Canning playing in that role. Yeah, yeah but I think a lot of that game too turned out to be, I won't say a tournament match for all the world, but he was just let float around the place. Dublin did what they liked. They were in total control of what they were at, but it's a, it's a fair point. And that's for every number 11 around the country. That's the conundrum that all the managers have to fix when he goes deep, what you do with him. And Michael Wexford's big win over Leash, 5.28 from play, I think, which is an astronomical score. Uh, it kind of shows us how much they had it their own way. You know, does that do anything for your opinion of Wexford? I know going into it, you thought maybe the project had probably reached its apex a couple of years ago and they mightn't be in a great position going into the championship. How are they set, do you think, now? Yeah, it's a hard one to judge. I suppose during the league, I don't know, was there any stage where they started a game with, with Kevin Foley, Chin, McDonald, and Rory O'Connor all, all starting, really. Um, they, they've got five or six big hitters and have to have them on the pitch, I think, at all times if, if they're to flourish. Uh, they were very good the other day. It has to be taken with the caveat. I, I'm not sure um, I'm not sure what way Leash were setting up the other day. It was unbelievably uh, defensive. And, you know, if containment was what they were looking for with the score that they conceded, like it was an absolutely ridiculous score to be conceding if you're if you're trying to play defensive and trying to bring lads behind the ball, like there was times there where, where Leash had hardly anyone inside their own 65 at their attacking end. Uh, it was very, very strange. Uh, they didn't provide much resistance to Wexford, but in fairness, that kind of energy and enthusiasm that we associate with Wexford when they're going well, the likes of Dermot O'Keefe burning lads, that was kind of there again the other day. Um, they'll, co- they'll go into that Kilkenny game with huge confidence. They, they beat them in 17 they beat them in 19, and I think they'll fancy their chances of beating them again. Um, but did they learn? Would they have learned much from the other day? I'm, I'm not so sure, really. So, Brendan, going into those two Leinster semi-finals, Galway, Dublin, Kilkenny, Wexford. You know, Galway, Kilkenny are the standout favourites. But can you see either Dublin or Wexford winning next weekend? I can see Wexford certainly um, putting in a, a huge shift against Kilkenny. I think the game for both teams, they, their confidence needed. I know you say it, they didn't get out and out of it, but us on the outside looking in. But if you're in that dressing room, I think Wexford are sorry, Wexford in the last quarter scored 3-6 or 3-4 or something. But it showed an intent and a hunger that, look, we want to keep pushing on. Um, Jack O'Connor came on, I thought he's exceptionally good. Um, but their confidence needed that kind of a, a beat to give out to a team. Um, and I think both of them now are, are, are on par with both Galway. I think Galway are, are exceptionally strong. They'd be looking to win Leinster, win the All-Ireland and all this kind of stuff. So it's a fair challenge now. It's a completely different landscape, this Leinster semi-final today than it was when we were chatting about it Friday evening. That's one thing for sure. And uh, now Galway and Kilkenny are, are, well, are well warned about what kind of a storm is coming. 
And from a Munster perspective, what did you make of the Clare Waterford game? I know you were writing about it in today's Irish Independent. Michael uh, Verney's already quoted your line about family squabbles and how it can sometimes bring bring the family closer together. Uh, were you impressed with Clare overall? I was. I was impressed with the way the the, the hunger and enthusiasm they showed around the pitch. I mean, they they disrupted what Waterford wanted to do. Waterford got punch drunk for the first two and a half quarters, we'll say, of the game. Um, I think Waterford sacrificed a huge amount by playing Caden Lyons in the full back line. Brian Lohan did exceptionally well in leaving Tony Kelly in there like he wrote about today. He just kept Caden Lyons out of the game and he made sure that his sharpshooter was in the game when he needed to be around the goals. Um, but John Conlon at six as well. Uh, I think I better keep writing lads off because he seemed to be playing really well when I'm, when I'm doing it. The, the lads around in Conlon, they did really well to protect him as well. The two wing forwards sat back, Malone in the middle of the field and Galvin sat. And what and Watford in a lot of ways played into their hands. They hit the ball long. They just didn't. And I suppose it's a byproduct of missing eight or they only had eight last year's All-Ireland final team who ran the ball perfectly and knew exactly what the system looked like. It just seemed to me that when um, the cornerbacks like Gleeson got the ball, they just want to hit it long. They panicked a small bit. Um, but fair play to, to Clare. They fully deserved it and should have won by an awful, awful lot more. Um, and again, Tipperary are on fair notice after last weekend now uh, as, to, as to what's coming down the tracks next Sunday. Yeah, so how do you view that game? You know, Tipperary obviously played pretty recently, as Michael pointed out earlier. It's not like the long layoff you you know traditionally have after the league. Are, are they in a good position facing Clare, or does this kind of give Clare a bit of a springboard, and does that make them dangerous? Oh, it makes them dangerous, there's no doubt about that, because Clare are a team full of confidence now after the weekend. I mean, you only look at Brian Lohan at the end of the third quarter, like he was spitting fire about, I'd say he was saying about the wides and uh, the expletives are coming out, but you could see the passion and the spirit of 95, I think, is, is what was pouring out of him. And that's what Clare supporters would have wanted. You know, that ferocious, vicious attitude towards the game, never say die. Yes, they made mistakes, but you're going to make that when you're trying as hard as what Clare were trying. And the same thing the weekend, but they will have to be more economical when they're shooting. They can't hit, I think, any more than 10, 11 wides against Tipperary. And the other thing they can't do is let Ronan Maher stand 80 or 90 yards from their goals looking in at Jamie Callan or John McGrath, the full forward line, like they let the Watford um, full back line and half back line do. Tipperary would deliver the ball way more efficiently, way more in a more dangerous area. And if Tip can get the ball inside John Conlon's screen there, I think they, they'll have enough for that Clare full back line. But that'll be the interesting one. Can Clare push up now on Tipperary to stop delivering the ball in? That's a very big game to look forward to next weekend for the moment. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks, guys. Well, it's now time for the Football on the Throne podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. We're delighted to welcome Kieran Whelan to the show. Kieran, how are you? Good, well, not a butter. Yourself? Yeah, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. We're, we're going to kick well, off with the weekend's action, but I suppose since the Sunday game last night, there's been a lot of speculation about Stephen Cluxon and his future. I, I know Des Carl asked you if you thought he'd be playing in the first championship game. I think the question now is, do you think he'll play at all for Dublin in 2021? Uh, I hope that he does. Well, it's the honest answer. Uh, but I suppose word probably filtered around Dublin uh, that you know he had played for Clontarf over the weekend or played for Parnells over the weekend. And... Uh, I suppose if he's playing a week before a championship for his club, uh, it doesn't indicate a strong message. Uh, so it doesn't appear that he's back in the squad from what I'm hearing. As I said last night, I hope that I'm wrong on that. Uh, and I hope he's agreed a pathway back and maybe he's he's easing himself back in over the next five or six weeks. But uh, he's not back at the moment, I don't think. And, and, and that is of concern from a Dublin perspective. Now, listen, Evan Comerford will be well able to slot in there next week. He's He's got great experience over the last couple of years. But 
we know what Cluxon has brought to the party for Dublin uh, over the last five, six years. So I'm sure Conor McKeown has been investigating this for the last 24 hours and has a better inside track than I do. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't appear to be good at the moment. Yeah, Conor, like, what's your good feeling on it? Is this kind of the classic Stephen Cluxon way of, of stepping away from his legendary career, just not mentioning it at all and just not turning up when the championship starts? And, and if that is the case... What does that mean for Dublin? Like Colin Keyes last week said, Edmund Coverford is a top five goalkeeper in Ireland, in his opinion. But in terms of losing Stephen Cluxton, do you think that's what what's happened? Uh, it definitely looks that way. I mean, I, like I don't, I, I honestly don't know. Um, and I'm just surprised that either between Cluxton giving a definitive answer to Dublin management or Dublin management taking their own course of action, that there has been no finality on this now. I know Keno Sullivan retired yesterday, so um, you know they're obviously in a situation where there was a chance of players coming back or not, as the case may be, up until very late in the day. Um, and so I, I assume that it's the same situation with Luxon. You know, like the word is that he has been working with Josh Moore and the Dublin goalkeeping coach um, in some capacity, but and, and like he, he plays centre back for Parnells or did at the weekend anyway. So uh, why he'd be working with a goalkeeping coach if he didn't intend on coming back, I don't know. Maybe he's taken over from Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could probably line out at six for Dublin next week. But, he, <laughs> yeah. but uh, like, if it comes to it, Evan Comerford is an excellent goalkeeper. And um, the one short fall in his game when he came on at the very start for Dublin was that, you know, that that kick that Cluxton has when the opposition press right up, the one for Brian Howard, you know, in the the twenty nineteen drawn All Ireland final where you go over the top and you kick it seventy yards. He didn't have that, but. Um, I saw a couple of kicks that he had against Kerry in the league, so he, he's he's seriously developed that element of his game. But uh, it, it's probably not for it's probably not for his goalkeeping that Dublin will miss Stephen Cluxton if he doesn't come back. It's his presence, you know. Uh, like there is a sort of a, you know, because there's a bit of mystique over Cluxton because he he um, you know appears so infrequently in public, uh, you know, in terms of media and all the rest of it. You know, he, he does have an aura and he does give Dublin, you know another sort of, I don't know, an air of invincibility or whatever way you want to call it. Like, he has been an absolute phenomenon and everything he has done for Dublin. Um, so, like, he will be he will be hugely missed. But, it, like, at this stage in the day, I wouldn't be surprised if anything happened, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if he never came back again and I wouldn't be surprised if he started in the second round of the championship. But, as it stands, I think it's very unlikely he's going to play against Wexford next weekend. Yeah, and I suppose if he doesn't play against Wexford, it's hardly the end of the world, Michael. You know, and you know, you conceivably you wouldn't need Cluxton, you know, quote unquote, until you know a semi All Ireland semi final potentially. You would have to say, but it, with a truncated championship, with it all being very compressed, it, it does seem unlikely that he would miss, you know, a good portion of it and then just walk back in. I don't think the Dublin management would would want that, or, or the team would the team want that even that if he just came back in later on in the year. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange one because obviously, like they've been working. What is it? The last fourteen weeks they've been back, um, officially back anyway. So like, the, whatever they've been working on throughout that fourteen weeks, and I'm not saying that's been massively different from what he's been involved in the last couple of years. But there's bound to be different things, and you have to be in tune with what's going on uh, with different players and things like that. I do think it's been really smart. Uh, was it three years ago? Cluxton got injured against Longford, and Evan Comerford came in, and he's he's had loads of game time. Um, in the last three years, kind of quietly, Cluxton coming back later in the league, maybe missing the odd early championship game. So I think they've kind of, he's kind of gained a lot of experience very smartly over the last couple of years. And now when maybe if he is coming in, maybe permanently now for Cluxton, if Cluxton walks away, 
he's not coming in cold. He's got lots of, you know, he's got lots of minutes under his belt. But uh, it's 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 another one of the subplots that's going to be interesting to play out over over the next while. Like every the, everything's going to be over in like two months' time. So if Cluxon is going to be back in, he's going to have to be back in like pretty soon. Yeah, Kieran. And this last question is before we move on to the weekend's action. Like, at what what point is the tipping point? Like you're losing McCaffrey, Paul Mannion. Then the veterans like Dar- Michael Darren McCauley, you know, Bernard Brogan, Paddy Andrews, Keno Sullivan now, and then potentially Stephen Cluxon. Wh- when does they get to that tipping point where even with the strength and depth in the panel, it does become too much to, to continue this All-Ireland uh, kind of streak they've been on? Yeah, well, I suppose it's when, 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 when that streak is broken, ultimately. But, uh, you know, from you know Cluxon, from Cluxon's perspective, uh, you know, I think it, if you look at the role of goalkeepers and, and, and you look at you know some of the top teams that have really competent uh, keepers, cool under pressure, you know, the likes of Rory Began, even Morgan and Tyrone, uh, you know, Cluxon has had that for Dublin where, you know, over the years teams might rattle him for four or five minutes, you know, and but then he comes out in the second half and, and puts on a display and can recover mentally within a game and is never phased. And and I think it's such a tough position and such a tough Tough, tough, tough role to play, and it's it, you can see some of the teams that are probably in the second tier, and even Kerry to a certain degree, trying to settle on a goalkeeper and somebody because it, it's such an important role uh, that they have to play in terms of Lincoln, and there's so much pressure on them. And we even saw Young Fitzgibbon and Kerry, you know, having a little bit of a wobble against Clare at the weekend, you know, where you know you, you could see it got to me a couple of kickouts in a row that 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 rattled them. So, like, I think that's that's the challenge from a Dublin perspective in that. You know, when you're in that heat of battle, when there is that clutch moment, when it is going down the stretch in a semi-final or a final, and, and and you need a keeper to deliver uh, two or three crucial kickouts, that's what Cluxton was able to do. Uh, so I, I think that's you you would you wouldn't realise maybe the impact maybe to later in the year when you are in one of those situations. But isn't from a Dublin perspective, um, you know, a lot of guys now keen, obviously moving on. You know, said last night, class act, a class player. What he's contributed to Dublin has been phenomenal over the last decade. Um, but, you know, one of my concerns, you know, going, going into the championship is, you know, when you look at maybe Dublin's depth, you know, that they used to have when we used to talk about uh, the impact of the subs that could come off the bench and how frightening it was for opposition defenders to see, you know, a Dermot Connolly or a Kevin McManaman coming in, you know, in the, in the height of their powers with 15, 20 minutes to go. That's that would be a little bit of a concern for Dublin going forward, and and on the other hand, you look at Kerry who are coming down the line, um, building, trying to make a statement, and have developed a bit of depth uh, right throughout the pitch in their forward line midfield defenders. Uh, there's six or seven very experienced guys on the bench there at the weekend against Clare. So, uh, yeah, Dublin have lost a lot of quality, um, a lot of key players. You know, the likes of Mannion, McCaffrey. Um, Connolly, you know, now we're talking about clucks and clutch players that have delivered in crucial moments. So uh, it definitely levels the playing field a bit. Yeah, and speaking of Kerry, Connor, I know you were in Fitzgerald Stadium on Saturday night, you know, for their win over Clare, a couple of late goals, you know, really hammered home their dominance in the end. You know, did you learn anything? Did anything particularly stand out to you or impress you about them? Oh, like, you know, Sean O'Shea and, and David Clifford are, are, are a brilliant double act. They're as good, I'd say as Kieran Kenny and Con O'Callaghan in so far as they can, you know, like O'Shea started in the corner and he kicked the first three or four points of the game, but they, they rotated their forwards an awful lot. Um, they made sure that they had a couple of, um, a couple of players out around the middle to put pressure on Clare. Like they, 
Kerry scored one twelve in the first half, and one seven of them of that came from turnovers that they forced Clare into. Now, Clare have a problem with that. They they leaked something ridiculous in terms of turnovers against Mayo in the Division Two playoff final the previous week. But um, now, from the Kerry point of view, as Kieran says, you know, bringing a new goalkeeper into the championship is always a bit of a risk, and he had a a couple of wobbles uh, early in the second half. Um, you know, one of the goal, one of the kicks didn't go over the the twenty one or whatever it was, and they had to take it again. And then there was a bit of, but I think there was a bit of sort of mixed communication of what was going on out in front of them. Um, you know, you just wonder whether they have the legs in midfield as well. David Moran um, played there, but he dropped back in um, to full to full back when Clare's big midfielder went in at the edge of the square. But I like it, it wasn't a, a particularly impressive performance from Kerry, other than those flurry of scores. You know, that, like they were like Dublin in so far as um, you know when Clare had to come out and, and press to try and get back into the game. They were able to bring Killian Spillane off the bench and Michal Bourne's got a goal and they used that space really well. But for the most part of that game, besides the early flourish and, and the bits at the end, you know, that they, they were they were sloppy in patches, you know. Um and I suppose, you know, I, I think that they will completely lay waste to Munster now because like Tipperary have just been relegated to division four. If they play Cork in the Munster final, it's gonna be in Killarney and they haven't been beaten in Killarney since 1995 in the championship so um, you know I think they're as sure a thing as Dublin are and Leinster now at this stage um, and I suppose what will define their season is when it comes down to the crunch against Dublin in an all Ireland final um, you know whether they can do the smartest things at the end of the game uh, as Dublin always do and in that regard we didn't learn anything new because they just weren't put in that situation by Clare on Saturday night yeah, and we didn't learn much new across the football championship uh, in terms of the main contenders, Michael. You know, Mayo having a similarly impressive, you know, big win over Sligo, Donegal trouncing down, even losing Michael Murphy to injury, uh, you know, during the first half. It wasn't the best advertisement, I suppose, for the for the straight knockout championship that we've been stuck with for a second year in a row. No, probably not. To be fair, um, everyone was having this conversation before, like in 18, 19, and even last year, and even after Cavan and uh, Tipperary won the two provincial championships. Uh, the conversation is always going to come back to how lopsided they are and how few teams can actually you know, le- have legitimate chances of winning their, their provincial championship. I think Donegal is an interesting one. Like, I can't get my head around how Michael Murphy was risked for that game. I really can't get my head around it. Uh, a hamstring injury is a hamstring injury. Um, when you go at full tilt, which you're going to have to go at in a championship game, you, you risk pulling up and he, he clearly pulled up. Now, he didn't, you know, the typical one where you think you're after getting shot in the back of the leg, he didn't get one of them, but he definitely got the, the sort of, he looked like he got the sort of a dart that would be a couple of weeks. And I know he had unbelievable powers of recovery to come back and play that game against Kildare, I think it was in 2011, a week after hurting his hamstring, but like, he's under pressure now. I just, like, they were, like, with the best will in the world, they were never going to lose to down, really. Like, it was going to have to be, you know, a, a real kind of collapse and a, a non kind of start performance from them to, to not show up against down. And uh, just very surprised that he was risked. And like that has uh, a lot of implications for their, their aspiration for the rest of the championship now. So that was, I thought, I thought that was a real surprise. Now, if he, like if he'd been given another, another week, I'm sure he would have been, you know, ready to go for the Derry game. Now, like he's a massive, massive doubt for that. And he's a massive doubt even further if they do get further. So I was very surprised at that. I have to say. Yeah, Kieran, because it creates an interesting dilemma for Declan Bonner and the management team. Say if he's Michael Murphy's 50-50 for the Derry game. Der- Derry are probably one of the form teams at the moment. You know, very impressive in the National League. They're at home as well. I know not a huge home advantage with, with the small crowds and stuff, but 
do you risk him for that again? Or do you try to say, okay, let's try to get over the line against Derry. We might have Tyrone coming down the tracks. It, it, it's a bit yeah. of a call. Well, well, like if you were expecting a, a momentum ambush, you know what I mean, by a team, it's it, it's probably Derry, given their progress in Division 3 and given the bit of momentum they have and the bit of quality now that they have up front and, and the style of football that they've adapted in their playing. And, and Derry are kind of a, a bit of a dangerous threat. Um, but... I suppose the Michael Murphy thing, you know, if, if you're Declan Bonner and Michael Murphy comes into you and says, I'm playing, I feel good, I want to play, you know, like, you know, are you going to say no to him? Uh, because I'm sure he, he he's nearly an integral part of the management team up there uh, and, and, and and he's probably the type that would want to be on the pitch. I would agree fully with Michael that, um, you know, why not just even keep him in reserve and, and, and see how the game's panning out and say, yeah, you know, if, if we needed to throw him in in the second half to, if we're under a bit of pressure, uh, do that. But, you know, he definitely gave it a tweak yesterday and with such a compact championship now, he's such he's such an important part of, of, of the Donegal machine and what he offers. And even when he started the game yesterday, you know, he kicked a great score off his left. He put a great ball into the corner for an early point. He was he was beginning to control things around the middle. Donegal got away with it yesterday. Um, and, you know, I thought Donegal were, as I said, they were, they were very organised in their approach and they had Hugh McFadden on the edge of the square. They do what Donegal do. Very good on their kickouts. They, you know, down tried to overload one side of the pitch. Donegal are excellent at, at getting bodies in around the kickout as well. And they have that array of scores up front, but you would have been a little bit concerned with them defensively, uh, particularly in the second half, because down came out and said, right, we have to have a cut. Uh, they had to change their their, their style of play. Uh, they pushed up a bit, they pressed them, and it created more opportunities. So there was a, there was a hidden message in there for down, I think, as well. Um, but there's definitely a concern with Donegal. That, you know, I know Paul Brennan has been out, but at, at six, you know, and in the full back line, that if they're breaking... If, if teams are getting through that first line of defence and are running hard at Donegal defence, they are being opened up. Um, so they have a bit of work to do on on that. And listen, they're going to need Michael Murphy. So it's it's a very good question. Well, if he if if, he, if he's if he tweaked it yesterday, depending on the level of damage when it's assessed by the physio, I suppose this morning, you know, two weeks time might be uh, a bit of a challenge, and they might have to take a risk and hold him back Ulster final. But that. That's going to give Derry a bit of confidence and a bit of momentum. It's just yeah. on that, Will, uh, I think it probably underlines as well how big a factor injuries could be in this All Ireland Championship because if, if Donegal don't have Murphy and the same with Killian O'Connor and Mayo, like I think whatever chances of those two teams you yeah. know, winning All Ireland are probably gone. Kerry have so far avoided serious injury, certainly they don't. Look like they're going to have to do with any without anybody. Tweaked his yeah, but, but he does yeah. that all the time. Like I've never seen a fella who, who who has so many little tweaks. Now he booted the ball so hard in the top corner that he like tweaked yeah. his hand. But like if you look at Dublin with John Small out, and there might be like I don't know what the story is with Johnny Cooper. Like Dublin are probably one defensive injury away from having a problem back there. So you know, like they haven't even played their first match yet, and and there's question marks in terms of you know fellas being fit. So you know. We could be here making the best predictions in the world for what way this championship is going to go, but I think all of those teams, given the tight time frame involved, they're like you know it's a precarious situation because if you if you spring one injury, if Kerry were all of a sudden have to do without Sean O'Shea or Dublin were to do without Mick Fitzsimons, you know I think those teams will be seriously diluted as well. So it, it could be a, a very big factor in the championship and already has been with regards to Killian O'Connor and probably Michael Murphy. 
Yeah, it was one you know bit of solace for Donegal supporters would be just how impressively they did play when Michael Murphy went off. I think you know McBrady finished with one four from play, four points from Ryan McHugh, Jamie Brennan. You know, very impressive off the bench as well. So the the Derry game could be huge, as Kieran said. If if Michael Murphy doesn't play or if they have to hold him back, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. And Michael Mayo Sligo, one of the other big challengers in action. You know, poor Sligo didn't get a, a match last year because they had to pull out because of COVID, and then playing Mayo and getting absolutely. Annihilated, you know, 2-2 from Aidan O'Shea. Darren McHale, 1-5 as well. Interesting, maybe another forward option emerging with that absence of Killian O'Connor. Yeah, Darren McHale was good early on in particular. Um, Aidan O'Shea obviously played at 14 at different stages uh, last year and has obviously played there with great effect a couple of years ago. Um, they're probably going to need some sort of a focal point. I'm not saying he's going to be there the whole time, but he does, he does like he was actually... Like he wouldn't be exactly renowned for his finishing, but his two finishes were very good on, on Saturday. He didn't have much time on the ball even, and he got the finishes away very well. But they're going to need they're going to need someone like that probably to step up in in Killian O'Connor's absence. Um, it's the sort of thing where they'd love to play him probably eight, eleven, and fourteen. He's probably going to have to drift between those positions. But at fourteen, and particularly, listen, we can talk until the cows come home probably about you know different things, but they're not really going to be tested probably until the, the Connacht final. And we won't know whether Killian O'Connor's absence, we won't know just how big it is until then. Um, but in fairness, they did, they did what they had to do for Sligo, having not played a championship game last year. Um, it's just a, it's been a disaster of a seven or eight months, really. And they go, they go off now uh, and have to build for next year, which seems like an awful long way away. And, they're not like they're not exactly going into next year with too much optimism either. After you know, really being blown away early on, like they kept they, they kept it respectable enough in the second half, but they were just physically in particular were no match for Mayo. Mayo have serious levels condition built up over the last you know probably decade, and uh, Sligo were just nowhere near them physically yesterday. And Kieran, from a Mayo perspective, like for you with Killian O'Connor out, is that their All Ireland challenge done and dusted, or can guys like Darren McHale or Tommy Conroy taking another step forward? He was a young player last year in the final. He did look maybe a little undersized against Dublin with another year of conditioning under his belt. Can guys like that maybe help bridge the gap? Or yeah, they- yeah, I, th- I, th- I th- listen. I think it is going to be challenging just in terms of Killian O'Connor's numbers, in terms of what he delivers and and, and the scores that he delivers in big games. Uh, you know, and his, uh, particularly, you know, I think he. A third of their scores in the National League. Uh, he was playing uh, out of his skin. Uh, he was probably playing better football. You know, even if you go back a few years ago, he was kind of getting embroiled and in different instances, and he was kind of a little bit tetchy and stuff like that. You know, the last I thought over the last twelve months, he was he was playing top class football. So he's a massive loss. Um, I have to say, you know, I, I still think Mayo have have a lot going for them. Uh, they're extremely well organised, uh, and I think. The guys that they transitioned last year, you know, are certainly not one-year wonders. Uh, you know, they, they're actually continuing to improve. You know, McLaughlin was excellent. Uh, Oshin Mullen looked comfortable in the edge of the square. Tommy Conroy has got bigger and stronger. Ryan O'Donoghue is, is doing well in the corner. You know, the midfielders, you know, okay, they might miss Aidan O'Shea, even against Clare. Aidan O'Shea was quite dominant in the middle, but Maddie Rowan and Loftus are good on the ground and have good energy and good support play. So, I, I do think Mayo have transitioned very, very well and have a new breed of players coming through. And if they had Killian O'Connor, I think they would have cruised out of Connacht, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, and, and, and again, they've always been able to kind of put it up to the dubs. But it is it is a bit of a loss. Um, and I think one, one, one of the interesting things from a Mayo perspective is, and I don't know if anyone's watched them, but 
you know, we kind of forget it's very hard for young lads to come into a team and uh, develop into a team quickly. And, and, and you're, you're always going to have that they've, they've developed a level of consistency, albeit in Division Two. Uh, but one, one of the aspects, the lack of crowds has, has really allowed Mayo uh, to be coached very well. And you hear them, you actually hear their coaches on the sideline and they're directing the defense and they're trying to get different bodies back onto the D and they're trying to get a structure there and all that sort of stuff. And it's one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of games where you can actually, the younger players have been given direction uh, as to where to go and hold that structure. You know, bring the crowds back, you know, 50,000 people, you're not going to have that level of direction. But it's a great, uh, it's a, it's a great way to learn. Um, and, 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 and let's, and it may have helped with their transition because these guys haven't been put into a, a real pressure cooker situation where there's a comet final where there's, you know, 30,000 at it and the crowd is, is sniping at you or whatever, you know what I mean? So I, I, I think uh, if Killian O'Connor hadn't got injured, I would have Mayo right on the slipstreams of, 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 of Dublin Kerry. But without him, I think they're probably just taking a step back. And Karen, just to circle back to Kerry, I didn't get your opinion on, on the weekend. Like, did anything jump out to you? You know, I know, I suppose their attack, we know how good it is. Was there anything else around the pitch, you know, that you, you were looking at or, or with an eye to later in the year? Yeah, well, you're, I suppose you're always looking at their defence, Will, and, 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 and probably Claire really didn't really test them or ask them questions. Uh and, and again, like when, when Dublin played them, Dublin breached them a couple of times. And I, and I thought, I thought, you know, Kerry could have had a better structure, but I also thought they could have worked a lot harder to get themselves back into defensive positions against Dublin. They've definitely worked on that. And, and, the, and the work ethic is there to try and get back in to protect the day. I think Gavin Crowley's trying to play more of a, a role in knitting them together. Uh, but that forces him to step off at times, um, you know, and, and on clear, he kind of punished Kerry when he got the opportunity. Uh, he's, he's, he's a super player. So, you know, they haven't really been, you know, uh, you know, Conor alluded to, you know, Kerry, Kerry probably, they played for 45 minutes and put up a massive score and that shows the power of their forward line. Uh, they wouldn't have been happy with the third quarter or, or, or 10 minutes in, in, in the first half where they, where they got a little bit sloppy. Um, so that, que- that defensive question, Yes, they're working on it. Uh, well, have they been really asked any questions yet? We, we really don't know. Um, so it, 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 we'll, we'll see that as the year progresses when they're, when they're benchmarked against some of the better teams. And Michael, to move on to maybe the best of the rest, you know, those, those three first round Leinster games, which huge for the teams involved, obviously Dublin raging our favourites to win that province. But, you know, even your own county, obviously probably in one of the games of the weekend against Mickey Hart's loud team, went to extra time, you got there in the end. Great story for Niall McNamee, still going strong, getting on the score sheet with a goal. To 2003, he made his debut, which which is crazy. Mickey Hart's first year as Tyrone manager, which is, is hard to believe. Best of the rest, me, I will. This was the best of the week. This was the best of the weekend. Don't mind the best of the rest. Um, in fairness, uh, I think people are probably only waiting to say that John Martin and Offaly were probably wrong to take that league final because it was maybe they were beaten comprehensively. If they'd been beaten the other day, people probably would have been saying that. It's funny, if they'd won in, in normal time holding on, they would have kind of limped through. Um, and I know Sam Mulroy had a chance to, to win it in normal time, but it was pretty comprehensive in extra time, in fairness. Uh, I know Bernard Allen's goal in normal time was a kind of a lucky enough goal, and it was actually from a kick-out mistake as well. And he, he, a chance came back to him after Niall McNamee picked up a, a rebound and they got a, a turnover goal. Or a, the cornerback actually missed the flight of the ball for Offaly's second goal in extra time. But fairness, they, they held loud to a point in 20 minutes of extra time. Uh, it was a big, big win and it's been a, a great year so far. And even like 
seeing Shane Lowry there, I don't know, I'd say there was never any doubt about him getting one of the 100 tickets that were up for grabs, <laughs> given that the finances he's put in there. But it's a, it's a huge win. And like, awfully fancy their chances against Kildare. Like, they weren't far off them last year. And I think they're a good bit further down the road. And it's funny looking at it, uh, like, awfully aren't a particularly physically imposing style. There's very few guys over six foot, I would say. But like lads like Peter Cunningham, Owen Carroll, these guys, Carroll Stewart are kind of driving the whole thing forward. And then they've Niall McNamee, obviously, who's that was his first game to play. He played a full game, played the whole bit of extra time as well. It was his first full game to play this year. And his cousin Rory is kind of pulling strings in attack as well. I think they'll fancy their chances. They won't. Uh, Kildare's defence is probably a lot meaner than any defence they've come up against this year, maybe apart from Derry. But they'll definitely fancy their chances and they're on a bit of a kind of a crest of a wave again. So, yeah, no, listen, it's, it's all it's all good. That was a huge win. There's no point in saying any different. It was a huge win. No, that's a good game, as you say, next weekend. Uh, Connor Longford beating Carlo as well to set up a game against Mead. Uh, you know, I know Michael was at that game. Robbie Smith and Reen Brady, five points from play each, which is very impressive shooting. Yeah, and like, you know, it's only, is it three or four years ago since Longford beat Mead in the championship? And, you know, the, the, I wouldn't say that Mead are necessarily going to this game in a state of disarray, but... Um, you know, they didn't get promoted in the last game of the year. The, the, I, like, I don't know what the story is with Brian Menton and Donald Keoghan, but the two of them went off with what looked like pretty severe injuries uh, in that game. So, um, you know, I think if, if, if Mead don't have Keoghan and Menton, they could be slightly vulnerable. Um, you know, they, they do have a lot of pace up front, some of these young players uh, that have come in, uh, Morris and Costello, but... Uh, like if they're a small bit undercooked, Kyogo's a huge player for me, absolutely enormous player. Um, like he's he's the leader of the team and he, he's a brilliant marking defender, but what he does better than anybody else is he carries the ball um, into really tight situations. Um, I, like I think it was two years ago, I had him down for about five or six direct goal assists for me in the championship. You know, he knows when to release the ball. He knows the movement of the players around him. And Menton, you know, is just a really, really solid midfielder has been one of their most consistent and better players over the last few years. So, like, like Longford don't tend to give up very many scores. Like, they're not the most prolific team in the country, but they will make it very, very tough. Um, so, yeah, I think Mead are a little bit vulnerable there. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's Offaly's Leinster title to lose. So, at this stage, I'm not sure there's more playing those games at all. Just on that as well, I think Conor McGill is out if his suspension carries over too. Yeah. So, like, yeah. there's, a couple, there's potentially a couple of huge... Um, Huge absentees. McGill probably would have picked up either Robbie Smith or Reem Brady and potentially Kyogen may have dropped back to pick up the other one. So they could be, like, there's definitely an uh, opportunity knocking for Longford there anyway, definitely. Interesting. And then I suppose, Kieran, we'll give you the last word. Dublin will play Wexford now after they beat Wicklow over the weekend. And a big win for Wexford considering they lost to Wicklow in the league and the championship in 2020. I suppose yeah. it was kind of, that's kind of the end of their season, you'd have to say pretty much. But uh, it's still good for them to get the win. Yeah, and they were full value for it, in fairness to them. Uh, first championship win in seven years. Uh, and you could see after the match what it actually meant to them. They were like, it was massive celebrations. And they were probably lucky, you know, there was an interesting part in that game where uh, Dahi Waters had a late tackle just right on half time. And uh, the referee was consulting with the linesman, and, and, and the players went into the dressing room. Um, and it was only when Dahi Waters came back out on the field that he gave him a black card. Um, now I think Shane Roach said they were informed two minutes before they went back out that he was getting the black card um, but he was a, during that period Wicklow outscored him six points to two and actually went ahead uh, and you were thinking you know this game was getting away from Wexford but into the wind they, they, they showed 
brilliant resilience and particularly O'Connor from centre back and roster up front. They, uh, you know, they really kicked on and dominated the last 20 minutes. They were full value for their victory. And it, it really meant so much to them. And they're like, listen, they're, they're really embracing the opportunity now. <laughs> it's a mammoth task. Like, you know, you're, the dub's coming down uh, to Extra Park. Uh, it's going to be extremely difficult for them. But listen, they want to pitch themselves against the best teams. Um, it's an awful pity that there won't be a carnival atmosphere around Wexford and the dubs aren't able to travel down in numbers and, and create a bit of buzz around it. You know what I mean? That would add to the occasion. But uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant win for them uh, because Wicklow kind of had the... Had the upper hand on them, you know, particularly last year, beat them a couple of times, you know, and, and, and David Burke suggests it was the worst performance under his under his guidance. So, yeah, great win. And fair play to Shane Roach, you know, we went in there, you know, took took Wexford when they were kind of at a low ebb um, and, and it's great to see them get a, get a championship win, but it's going to be a, a tough task for them next week. Just a word, Will, on, on Dottie Waters. Dottie Waters dropped from the Wexford panel about 18 months ago. Um, called back in last year, was brilliant and obviously... Still going strong this year. Him and Brian Malone and Ben Brosnan have been there for a long time. Regardless of what happens next week against Dublin, that's a huge win for them. It's over, as Kieran said, it's over 2,500 days since their last championship win. Like, it's huge, huge for them. Massive, yeah. Yeah, massive task facing next weekend. Well, the football and hurling championships are back up and running. I'd like to thank Kieran, Connor, Michael, and Brendan for joining me today on the Throw In Podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. We'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the Core.